Welcome to the latest episode of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Podcast, where we interview academics and entrepreneurs at the front line of digital health. My name is Dr. Hamid Gumbari, and I am the deputy editor of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. If you like this episode and would like to support our work, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review and visit our website, the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. Welcome to the latest edition of the Cardiovascular Digital Health uh, Journal podcast. My name is Dr. Hamid Gambari, and today I have the great pleasure of having uh, Lisa Raleigh and uh, Dr. Jennifer Silva with me, who are going to be discussing expanding telehealth through technology. Welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Um, without... Um, in, Kind of, I wanted to, you know, this was a super interesting paper from my perspective because you guys really not only kind of conceptualized the work but actually put it into practice. And this is kind of the way we are hoping to deliver care. So, if, if uh, Dr. Silva, if you could tell me a little bit about how this work came to be from conception and then how did you think about executing this work? Absolutely. So, you know, this all started circa pandemic, right? And I think so many of us at that point were in a situation where we knew we wanted to reach out and continue to give high quality care to our patients. But for many of us, it was the first time we were really trying to stand up a telehealth program. And I'm incredibly lucky that Lisa had joined our team prior to the pandemic and brought with her this wealth of information and background that really helped us get up and running pretty quickly. But once we got this, this, you know, this sort of bare bones program up and running, we realized that there are all of these technologies that we have access to as electrophysiologists that could really enhance the telehealth experience, both for the patients and for the providers so that we could provide a fuller experience, one where the patients felt better that we were able to, um, to get parts of a physical exam or a usual clinic visit, even though they weren't sitting in our office. And so we really sat down and said to ourselves, what are the things that we would love to have during a telehealth visit? And then started exploring technologies that would allow us to actually acquire those data points. Think of something like an ECG. We always joke in my clinic that every patient I see gets an EKG. I don't even want to see my patients before I have an EKG because one of the first questions they're going to ask me is what did that EKG show? So we knew that that was a, an obvious one. Um, we're pediatric electrophysiologists and so obtaining pulse oximetry information was something that was going to become very important. And then we really wanted to sort of tackle this question head on of heart sounds and lung sounds. You know, I'm certain that other people hear that this is a barrier as to why they don't implement telehealth. They want to be able to put a stethoscope on the chest. And when when Lisa and I were brainstorming this, she very appropriately said, you know, we can do that. <laughs> they don't have to be in the office for that. And so we came up with this study, and she ran it like a pro. That's fantastic. Um, like you said, there, 
you know, one of the main reasons that we don't want to do these um, visits is because we don't get the same experience as the in-person. And you guys have been really, you've been really able to, through the study, um, conquer that fear. Um, Lisa, if you could maybe take us through the um, the study framework and, um, you know, particularly the methodology and how you went about executing it in your environment. Sure. Uh, so what we did was we took uh, patients who were already scheduled to have telehealth appointments with our providers and we, um, you know, obtained consent and then went through um, a quick teaching of the kit that they were going to get. We verified mailing addresses um, and then sent them out the kit. The kit contained a um, mobile device. We used iPhones. It contained two um, digital stethoscopes, the Stethi Pro and the Koala monitor. There were three ways to obtain ECG recordings. We used the Apple Watch Series 6, the Koala monitor, and the AliveCore CardioMobile single lead ECG. And then we sent two pulse oximeters. One was on the Apple Watch 6, and one was a conventional pulse oximeter. And then um, we would send that out to their house. And on the day of the appointment, the study personnel would join um, whichever provider and the patient were having their appointment. And the first 10 minutes would be um, collecting all the data points. So we, as the study people uh, personnel, would guide them through each technology and the use of each technology, ensure that the uh, information came up to the dashboards to us, we used the Stethi Pro and Quala Monitor dashboards that were already part of that product. And then we used um, secure uh, iPhone notes basically to um, obtain the data from uh, the Apple Watch um, and the Alive Core so that we could look at that in near real time. Um, then the provider and the patient continued their visit. And then there was a survey that was inside each kit as well that was for the patient, uh, the patient's family to complete. They sent that back with the kit within 48 hours. We did all of the FedEx processing, so I would schedule the time for the package to be sent out and the, schedule the time for the package to be picked up. And then the provider also had to fill out a survey on their end, and they were looking more so at was the data quality good enough to be able to use it for counseling and for um, potential diagnosis. Can you give me a little um, insight into what kind of patients were recruited in this study? We had 30 patients in this study um, and we took anybody that was willing to have a telehealth visit, but we specifically choose a certain subset of patients that go into our telehealth. We do primarily patients who have inherited arrhythmias, who are there for, who are being seen for SVT. Um, we had uh, a small cohort that was being seen for syncope or near syncope, and some were before pre and post-operative follow-up from having um, either ablations or um, having ICMs explanted or implanted. Yeah, this is quite an undertaking with so many patients. Um, and, you know, the, the one thing that you discuss in your paper and, and something that, you know, when I was reading, I was thinking about it, it was the cost and the time that it takes to kind of do this project. Can you give us a sense of, you know, total cost per package and whether you use unique packages for all patients or was it reused packages? 
we actually chose to use re uh, we reused the boxes um, that we initially had started with. We probably went through, I don't know, maybe 12 boxes total through the study because we were able to reuse them several times. And we would just affix new labels when it was shredding the old ones to um, maintain patient privacy. And the total kit cost was around $2,200, maybe a little bit short of that. Um, and we actually asked the patients to sign, or part of the consent was knowing that if they did not return the kit, then they were responsible for the cost of the items. Um, the, the time component uh, was definitely an undertaking. You know, I, this required a lot of um, work for myself and our research colleague um, to call the patients, remind them that the packages needed to be picked up, or if we hadn't received it, to confirm that it was received. Uh, to avoid it being lost in the mail as well. I'd like to follow up on that as well. We were very fortunate that our local Missouri ACC chapter funded this project to allow us to carry out this initial pilot. Um, the other piece, and, and I, we're going to get to this, but we're addressing important questions about the scalability of a project like this into a full-on program. And I think that that's something we're all gonna face in our own hospital systems. I'm incredibly lucky, right, to have this amazing team around me, but really this isn't a very good use of Lisa's time or expertise. So how do we do this broad scale is going to be a really interesting question that I hope to learn a lot from our community over the next several years about. And that's definitely part that I'm really curious about and I think everyone in our community as well. So um, Lisa, can you discuss what you found in your initial um, analysis? Yes. Uh, so we broke it up, as I said, between patient surveys and provider surveys. Um, we asked the patients um, if they thought that the digital health devices were easy to use during that um, during the study or during the visit. And we found that 97% of the patients felt that the devices were easy to use for ECGs, 100% for pulse oximetry, and 100% for the digital stethoscopes. Um, they also said they had high um, satisfaction with having a telehealth visit and higher um, understanding of their diagnoses and quality of the visit when using digital health devices. The providers, we asked, you know, what was the quality of the data that you received and did it help with your medical decision-making? Did it enhance the experience? We found that 90% of the providers found that their patients did not have a difficult time using the devices and 67% of the time they were able to use the data that they got to help with their medical medical decision making. There, um, when reviewing the quality side by side, uh, they, we found that the Apple Watch ECG was preferred to the other two methods and the stethoscope qualities were better for lung sounds than they were for heart sounds all around. And there was not a high difference between, uh, or there was slightly increased quality of the Stethi Pro versus the Koala monitor. We also asked them about the dashboards and were those dashboards easy to use? And the Stethi Pro dashboard was preferred by the providers. 
know, that's this is remarkable. Um, you know, you've shown that you can do this, right? And and if you can get you can get quality data, and that data is usable for the patients and the providers. I want to circle back to what um, Jen was talking about a little earlier, which is the scalability. So, where are you at now with this program? Is this ongoing? Um, and maybe you can kind of talk about that a little bit. And what what are your plans about making it? into a scalable program? Sure, right now we don't have it ongoing. Um, and that was mostly because we started to use the Stethi Pros for a, a second study. Um, and so we only have two that were purchased. And so they're being used for, um, to further investigate uh, some of the sound quality and the measurements that the Stethi Pro is obtaining. And so we didn't. We decided not to continue on with the kits, um, and also because we only had two, and it, the time commitment I believe was just more than our group at this time could continue to sustain. Um, I think what it would require is to have dedicated staff for that to be able to um, make sure that the data gets uploaded, to make sure that there's kit turnaround, um, that we receive everything back you know, in a timely fashion. The alternative is to ask our patients, do they already have these devices? And maybe that's how we can make it more scalable, is assess what our patients are using and how they're currently using them. And do they wanna send that to us during their telehealth visit? If I can follow up on that also, there's going to be, I think, really interesting questions around the ability to get reimbursed for the ability to have certain technologies used during telehealth. And if we can seek out some of those reimbursements, I think it will make the financial sustainability of a program like this much more viable. Currently, our institution doesn't, is, uh, we're, we're talking to them about how we can, are, are there ways to add um, modifiers, et cetera, to the way we bill for our telehealth visits, but but we really don't have a lot of clarity around that at the moment. To Lisa's point, you have to build an infrastructure for this. And, and we are actually in the process of building an infrastructure for this because this is something we would like to eventually have, particularly for us. You know, we live in Missouri. We are not in a densely populated part of the country. We serve a very wide geographic distribution, and we really need to get good quality pediatric electrophysiology services, um, very broad. And then I guess the, the one other thing that I, that I wanted to add is there are other technologies available to us and there are other things that we hear from our colleagues that may be barriers to why they don't use telehealth. And so before we create you know, the ideal technology kit that we send out, I really want to make sure that we know what that is going to contain. You know, again, this, you know, Stanford did that wonderful study on at-home echocardiography. I think all of us paid a little bit of attention to that, right? Is that something we want to include here? How do we do that? Is that financially viable? Is that use from a usability standpoint, is that broadly applicable? There's still so many more questions that I certainly have um, in this space before we go ahead and launch the full program. 
But I think studies like this are necessary for us to getting to the place where we can. So, Jennifer, you were speaking about um, how this program is, the scalability of this program. And one thing that uh, caught my attention in the paper when I was reading it was um, how many physicians actually um, found this to be helpful. Sure. So we're a small group, right, compared to other groups. We have three pediatric electrophysiology attendings that participated in the study. So, yes, the physician end user number is limited by, by what we have. And I think a really appropriate next question would be, if we increase the number of physician users, what does that look like? What is the usability of that look like? How does that impact the clinic? workflow, et cetera. Great point. And it's probably really, it'll vary from clinic to clinic, right? So, you know, an EP clinic, it's, you know, the the things that are going to give you the most bang for your buck are going to be the ECG, the PPG, probably um, anything that measures heart rate. And then you probably get less bang for your buck, you know, if you look at other things like in the physical examination where, you know, in pulmonary clinic, the auscultation may be more important. So like you said, there's probably a need for like tailoring this, this kit to different clinics based on the needs of, of the patients. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, as you are, we're so lucky, right? We get to see a lot of technology. We get to see it in its early phase and to go through its iterative development and then see what it comes out as as a commercial product. And we know that that pipeline is so deep and rich that it's easy to imagine how heart failure clinics, how general cardiology clinics, and then think past cardiology, right? There's so many other spaces in medicine that could benefit. But what you said is exactly right, is that we each have a thing that we need, right? And for us, correct, we need the EKG, or ECG, we need heart rate, however you choose to get it. Many of our patients have devices. We need the data from that device. This really lends itself quite nicely to telehealth visits and to remote visits. So we're in a really unique position, I think, to lead the charge on this and help our colleagues find their way to it with technology that works for them. And to get some clarification on billing, from my understanding, there's no additional billing currently for physical examination or telehealth. Is that correct? That is my understanding. But you can imagine that the more data like this come out, the more compelling a case can be made to think through what those modifiers could or should be. And here's an opportunity for us to work with our colleagues, our sponsor colleagues, right, to try to see if there is a way that we could enhance that reimbursement to allow the financial viability of programs like this. You know, as you're speaking, and as Lisa was kind of alluding to the program, I, I wonder what, you know, who should be the owner of these devices? Is it is it us as healthcare professionals and healthcare groups that provide these to patients on an on-demand basis? Or is it that patients take on this responsibility and own them in their own facilities and then they kind of own this 
data from you know acquisition all the way to communication to us. How are you thinking about this as far as who's responsible for providing the equipment? It's a great question. I don't know that I know the answer. I, what I know is that nobody seems to really know the right business model for this, right? Because we have companies that use a physician prescribed model currently. We knew that we know that some businesses don't, and we know that they all may have regulatory clearance. So that's not the barrier either. Part of it certainly is cost. Um, you know, I think of the giant in the room that is we have these huge companies that are coming into play, right? We have Apple coming in, we've got Fitbit, we're going to have Microsoft here. These are huge corporations that have that can function on a scale and scope unlike what we're used to seeing in the usual medical technology companies, right? And I and I think that they're going to have an outsized influence on what happens next. I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I don't, it's a great question. <laughs> well, it, it, it makes for a great research career for anyone who's interested in kind of looking at this um, and see, you know, uh, how to make this uh, feasible, scalable product that can help lots and lots of patients. Um, well, I wanted to you know, commend you on this wonderful study. You know, you're certainly taking the first step on, I'm sure, a, you know, a multi-year, decade journey as we operationalize all these devices. Um, are there any um, uh, thoughts that you want to leave our audience with um, as we move on? I guess the one thing that I'd like to say is that this really is a team effort. Right. As with so many things that we do in medicine, this cannot be done as, you know, an end of one provider. Like I said, I'm very fortunate to have a team that's creative and starts with a yes, we can do that and then figures out the way to do that. I think as electrophysiologists, we all know that our teams can't function simply as the physicians. That just doesn't work anymore. And so for people who want to think about programs like this, integrating their entire team into trying to problem solve the institutional issues they may have to launching a program like this, I think is really going to be very important. Lisa, what do you have? I think what's exciting about this and one of the take homes for me is that it's really just the beginning. We, we took an idea, we ran with it, we tested it out on a small group of patients. What, what could happen next is really up to the community and how they choose to use the digital health and how they take this study to the next step, to the next level. Oh, wonderful. Well, um, I want to thank you for spending your evening with me and my, our audience, and we look forward to seeing what comes next for you. Thank you again. Thank you so much.